In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So we're doing this series called Gianting and we're talking about spiritual growth and how to grow from being this cute little kitty cat to the lion that God is trying to get us to grow and to mature into being. And um, as we've gone through this journey together for a couple of weeks already, we've talked a little bit about growth and about how things grow and where they come from and starts from a seed and so on. And some things seem to grow in like cyclical cycles or so on, but some things seem to grow in a more linear fashion. And I kind of gave this example of my, you know, at my grandmother's place, um, she'd measure us up on her kitchen wall. And every time we would visit her, she lived in Egypt and we lived in Canada and we'd, you know, I'd run into the kitchen to see if any of my cousins had beat me and lo and behold no one ever kind of you know got shorter everybody got taller over time so some things in life grow in a cyclical fashion but some things are meant to grow in a linear fashion um, and we've been taking saint anthony the great as our um as our guide saint anthony was this guy who uh, around at 18 years of age both of his parents passed away and they left him a massive inheritance, 300 or 350 acres of land, uh, fertile land and servants and houses and buildings and barns. And, and as he walks into the church, he hears, he hears the gospel being read and he hears Jesus speaking to the young rich ruler and telling him, if you wish to be perfect, sell all that you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. And so, he, you know, he has a powwow with his sister and he sees what she needs for her needs and then he sends you know he sells everything and he goes and he goes from one he goes from one uh, you know elder to another learning from them whatever he can in the ways of spiritual life and then eventually goes and lives in the tombs and then eventually in the desert and then he travels eastward towards the red sea and lives in the caves there and hundreds thousands of people flock to him and they, they, they see that he is someone who has discovered something that, that, that no one else has. And, and kings come to visit him and ask for his guidance. And philosophers, atheists, come to ask him for his advice and his counsel. So we're asking St. Anthony, how can we grow in our spiritual life? And we've been following kind of his, his principles. So from all of his readings and all of his writings and letters he wrote to his disciples, they've kind of crystallized down for us. What are his, his basic teachings? The first teaching that, he, that we shared previously, we're just kind of reviewing, is that the commandments of Jesus are the roadmap to spiritual life. You don't need anything more than the commandments of Jesus. You don't need some fancy philosophy. Don't be fooled. St. Anthony tells us many times, don't be fooled by empty philosophies. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by some blog, the, the six things that you need to this and the five things to that and the three things to have a more productive and so on. Don't be fooled, St. Anthony is telling us. Anything that anyone is saying that is true was said by our master already in his commandments. Just do them. Just do them. And he says, if you have questions, ask the author, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, inside each Christian, inside each person who has embraced a Christian life, the Holy Spirit of God, he is your guide. He will set your goals 
for you. He will set your target for you and he will take you by the hand and show you how to follow those commandments and how to reach to reach that goal. And last week we were talking about St. Anthony tells us that the most dangerous pitfall in spiritual life is regression. Because spiritual life is a life of continual growth. It's not one of those seasonal things, you know, like it's not a perennial that, that blossoms in May and, 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 you know, and hibernates over the winter. It's something which is supposed to grow and grow and grow and grow. And, you know, we kind of quoted Tigger uh, last, last week and saying it doesn't matter how far low you fall. What's important is that you bounce back higher we have faith that yes we will fall but god himself is the one who will make sure that we bounce back higher and last week we kind of summarized it all in saying that the mindset of maturity the mindset to have if we wish to to mature is to press onwards there is no reason to stop or to slow down i just gotta keep trucking just keep going forget the past Start a new start every day. St. Anthony would say every day, I'm starting the very first day of my spiritual life. And every night he is preparing himself to give an account to his savior. Every day is a new birth. And every night he is ready to die that night and, and to go to heaven, right? And to meet his Lord. And the third thing is to keep our eyes on the prize. Keep, stay focused on where I'm going and don't allow the discouragements of the past, the failures of the past to slow us down. Every moment is a treasure. Every moment is a treasured opportunity to move forward, right? And here we are this week taking the next step to grow from the cute little kitty cat into the lion that God has made us to be. St. Anthony this week is telling us that a wavering heart spoils spiritual life and that discernment is the cornerstone of spiritual life and the measure of all virtues. Last week we talked about these ups and downs and I have to tell you, if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I can remember a time when I prayed more minutes or hours in the day. I can remember a time in my life where I read more in the Bible. I can remember a time in my life where I was overall more devoted to God. And it might have been even long before my priesthood. It might have been in, a, in my teenage years or in my early 20s. A time where I was more, I seemed to be more active, at least outwardly, if you look at that, the outward measures, you know, I don't know what metrics to use. But if you look at those, you would say that that was more of a peak. And maybe, John, you're now a bit of, in more of a slump. So how is it that we end up having these ups and these downs? Why, do, why does this happen? St. Anthony is trying to, to give us, to shed some light on one of the reasons why that might be. If we look at scripture, we'll find the prayer that is the cure for one of the reasons of these ups and downs. King David in the Psalms, in Psalm 86 or 85 in the old numbering, says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. He says, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. How does this work? Why, why is he praying? Why is he praying this prayer? I'll tell you why he's praying that prayer. And I'll tell you what each one of us do often, hundreds of times a day. 
oftentimes I'm in a situation, whatever it may be, and I'm here, but I'm thinking about what is out there. You know, the hunchback of Notre Dame in, in, the, in, that, in that cute Disney movie has the song that he sings about how great it must be to be out there. And he's in the bell tower. Now, the reality is, is that when I'm thinking about what's out there, then at least a part of me is not living over here, right? If you're talking to me, right? So, so you're talking to me, um, but I'm thinking about what's there. We oftentimes call that not being present. I'm not with you. I'm not focused. I'm not, I'm not, one thing is for sure, I'm not here. At least a part of me is somewhere else. I'm thinking about what's out there, but I'm over here. The natural result of that is I'll never know if what was out there what was, was better than what was in here. I'll never know unless I go out there. But one thing is for sure, I will miss out on what's happening here because I'm not, I'm not present. You know this, the, the, the saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. So they've actually, you know, for those of you who always think that the grass is greener on the other side, I have good news for you. I mean, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you. I'm going to vindicate you for a moment. They've actually done a little bit of research and they've shown that the grass actually does appear to be greener on the other side. It actually does appear that way because of the way the light refracts and so on and the science of the physics of optics that is far beyond me at this time that was many moons ago right but the grass actually does uh, you know if you take if you take like one one lawn and you put a fence in between it the grass on the other side of the dividing line will appear greener although it's the same grass so so it's okay if you feel that the grass may be greener on the other side, literally or metaphorically. What we, you and I need to do is that knowing this little piece of science that I just shared with you, you and I need to recognize that it's an optical illusion. It's the same grass. It's the same sun. It's the same rain. It's the same watering system. The fact that there's a line there gives your mind the sense that that grass is actually greener. This isn't just about physics and it isn't just about optics. It's about everything in our lives. I'm in a situation and I wish the situation was different because that would be, that would be better. What ends up happening when we do that is that part of me is here and part of me is there. Part of my heart is here, part of my heart is there. Part of my thoughts are here, part of my thoughts are there. Part of my values are here, part of my values are there. And when I use the word value here, I really mean it like for its literal meaning, not like your values, your principles, but what you value. What is valuable? What is precious to you right now? And if we're going to talk about value, let's talk about money. I'm not no expert in stocks or in investing or whatever, but they tell you, you know, when you go and see somebody who is and there are experts in the room, I hope I'm not going to embarrass myself, right? They, they sit you down and they try to figure out what's kind of like your risk-taking profile. Like, are you somebody who's really comfortable with risk or who's really risk averse? Because they want to know how much risk they should expose you to. Why do they want to know that? Because a riskier portfolio is going to come with a higher interest rate a, and a low risk portfolio is going to come with a lower risk interest rate. But 
in, 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 in an effort to spread out the risk so they don't expose you to too much risk all in one place, what do they do? They diversify your portfolio. So they put a little bit of money in the, in the high risk stuff and a little bit, you know, a little bit of money in, and you end up with this kind of pie chart. But this pie chart you see on the screen here is not, you know, this isn't, I'm not talking about money now. I'm talking about what you value in life. I'm talking about what you are willing to spend your time, effort, money, and so on, on. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about when somebody says, where's the money? They're not necessarily talking about dollars and cents. They're talking about what is valuable to you. Where do you place your value? That's the question. And we diversify where we place our value for the very same reasons, because of risk. If you have a best friend and that friend is your best friend and you think to yourself, this person is great, this person's gonna be my friend forever, you don't need any other friends. But if you think to yourself, you know, I've had lots of great friends in the past, but they move on, they get married, they get this, they get that, all kinds of different things happen. And you know what? it would be a good idea for me to have more than one friend because who knows what may happen in life, you know? And I don't wanna be found at some point with no friends. You would make multiple friends. You would diversify your interests. You would diversify your values. This is categorically the opposite of what happens in marriage, right? When you meet your forever guy, your forever girl, they're your forever guy. They're your forever girl. So. When you, when, you, when you made that decision that this is it, this is the person, this is the one and only, then everybody else becomes out of bounds, right? One would think that's kind of how it works. It becomes exclusive, but it only becomes exclusive when you've made that decision to make it exclusive, when you've made that decision that this is the one. This is the person that I wish to be with for the rest of my life. This is, I've met people who've told me this is the job I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. You may think that's naive in a, in a, in a marketplace like ours now. You might think what you think, but that person is so devoted to that company, to that career, to that job, they've decided this is what they wanna do for the rest of their life. They've done the opposite of what was on the previous screen. They've de-diversified. They've, what the opposite would be, unified their portfolio, right? They've unified their interests. They've put all their interests in one place. You know, a friend of mine taught me why I'm very much liable to buyer's remorse. I love getting a good deal, so much so that after I buy something, I will continue to shop, right? Don't do that, right? Because after you've paid as much as you think you should have paid, or you got a great deal and you continue to shop, most things, especially electronics, lose value over time. So eventually you're gonna find the thing that you bought for a lower price. And then the joy that you had in this new thing coming into your life is gone because you paid too much for it now, right? Once you make a decision, you got to stop shopping. Otherwise it leads to something similar to buyer's 
remorse. St. Anthony is telling us just this. That's exactly what he's telling us. He's telling us, I'm writing this, this was from one of his letters, letter 10, saying, I write this letter to you, my blessed children, so you may know that those who love God and seek him with all their hearts, God hears them and grants their requests. Our relationship with God is very much like a marriage. If we go to him with all of our hearts, and what does that mean? Like I've tried to translate it to English for all of you, for, for all of us, you know, it means that all my value when I go to God is him. In that moment that I stand before God, if I were to lose, you name it, it wouldn't matter to me. Jesus tells us, you can't be my disciple. He's not telling us it's a prerequisite. You're not allowed to take 201 until you finished 101. It's a prerequisite course. 101 is a prerequisite course for 201. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're just not going to be able to be a disciple. You're going to start, but then you're going to peter out. You're gonna put. You're gonna start. You're gonna start running, and then you're gonna kind of putter along, and then you're gonna stop, and eventually you're gonna turn around and go home, and you're gonna stop following. If you love father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, your own self more than me. Jesus is telling us, look, I'm calling you to be a. I'm calling you to follow me, but I'm just telling you. You're not going to make it to the finish line. I want you to make it to the finish line. But you're not going to make it to the finish line unless you love me most. And that's what St. Anthony is telling us. If we go to God with all of our hearts, he hears us and he grants us our requests. He goes on to say, brace yourselves. As for those who do not come to him with all their hearts... And their works are done in pretense before men so they may be glorified by them. Saying, and they do things, they pray, they fast, they, I don't know, do whatever they do, you know, uh, you know, do charity, whatever, so that they can be seen by others and praised by them, right? To those, he hears not their appeals and they are rejected and they are despised by God for their hypocrisy. Ouch! St. Anthony, they're despised by God? Yeah, that's what he says. He says, God hates hypocrisy. He is so, he's so honest. He's such a straight shooter. He just wants you to be a straight shooter too. So don't come to him with any other ulterior motive other than wanting him. And you know, the, the, the biggest culprits of this, help me God, is us, the folks in black dresses, you know? Not necessarily just the folks in black dresses, but church people. Because I, I have a thousand reasons why I could be here and speaking to you right now that have nothing to do with Jesus. I have to examine my heart. I have to see is my Lord and King and Savior, is the Lord Jesus Christ the reason that I'm here? Is he the reason that I get down on my knees every evening? Is he the reason that I worship him every morning? Is he the reason that I interrupt my day with brief little snippets to look up to him 
and to say a prayer and to remember him? Is he the reason or is there something else that is driving me to that? And you'll say, but Father John, geez, like rejected, despised, like hypocrite, like those are strong words. I know, I know, hey, like they, they're kind of like a, a bit like a cat scratching a chalkboard to our ears, right? But I'll ask you a question. Suppose, suppose you were one of these people in this picture, okay? Suppose you were the one getting proposed to or you were the one who was proposing. And all of a sudden, you have this magic supernatural superhero ability to be able to read the thoughts and, and, you know, of, of the other person. And in that moment that that person is down on one knee, you know, presenting you the ring or that you're like accepting it and putting it on, you realize that the other person is thinking about somebody else. What would you say? What would you do? What would you say and what would you do is, is kind of complicated. That would be a very messy situation. What would you think? Would you think, would you be upset? Would you be angry? Would you be hurt? Or would you, or would you just feel like, why did you come? Like, if you haven't figured out that I'm the one yet, why are you here? Like, if you're still thinking about somebody else and you haven't decided that I'm the one, why, why, why are you here? Like, no one put a gun to your head. You could have postponed this a week or two or three or get yourself sorted out. Go see a counselor. I don't know. Jump off a jump into a river. At this point, what do I care? Right? Why are you here? Jesus, Jesus says to Judas Iscariot as he comes into the garden at the betrayal, friend, why are you here? And the question is not a rebuke. And the question to you and me is not a rebuke. It's not intended to be a slap in the face. It's intended to be a question that we answer. It's not rhetorical. It's intended for us to answer it. Why are you here? Are you actually here because you want me? Or do you want something behind me? Do you want... I don't know, my inheritance. Do you want my this? Do you want my family? Do you want my pet? I don't know what, you know? Do you want the security of being in a relationship? Do you want... You can think of a thousand things. Why are you here? Jesus asking that question of each one of us. Every time we stand before Almighty God, that question is right there on the table. Why are you here? Don't put on a show. Some of the best advice I've heard about prayer was start your prayer. This wasn't part of my talk, but it doesn't matter. Start your prayer with where you are actually at in life. Like if you're really angry about something that happened at home or something that happened at work or something that happened wherever, start your prayer with that. Stand before God and say, thank you, God, for allowing me to stand before you. But to be honest with you, I'm really angry. One of your children out there you know, if you granted, if you gave me just one second, Lord, if you just allow us to interrupt this for one second, I would go and rip their head off and I'll come right back. I promise. You know, I would like to strangle them. I'd like to, you know, string them up, you know, from the ceiling and beat them like a pinata. I promise I'll be right back to say I'm sorry. You know, tell God how you feel. Just start, be honest. 
It doesn't make sense that I praise you, Lord, and thank you, Lord, for the peace and calmness that you filled our lives. Ah, peace and calmness, I want to rip that person's head off, right? Eventually, you need to start talking with God about God, and that will bring you peace and calmness. But to ignore where we're actually at and to put on a show and to pretend and to act, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for God and it doesn't work for us. It just doesn't do anything for anybody. So don't do that. In Exodus, and we, we saw this when we were talking, did the jealousy series about how to deal with jealousy. We we're talking about God's jealousy. God gets jealous, right? And it, and it says in Exodus, right? Don't worship any other gods because his name is jealous. He is a jealous God. He is jealous for you. And the speaker on that day gave the example of, you know, if, if I heard my wife was cheating on me or if I heard, you know, this or that, would I get jealous? I'd get darn jealous. For sure I would, right? Why? Because I love her. And because there's an agreement, there's an agreement that I am for her and she is for me. And I wish to give the entirety of myself to her. I wish to give the entirety of myself to her, but I can't if she's not paying attention. She's paying attention to some other guy, right? And that's what God is telling us, is telling us here. St. Anthony continues, and this is still talking about when we go to God with half of our heart, right? But you're going to find some, 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 some precious pearls at the end of this. For this reason, the power of God does not work in them for their faint-heartedness in all that they do. Hence, they cannot perceive the splendor of God or, nor his joy, and the works of God become burdensome to them like a heavy load. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel like what you're doing is a heavy load? It's a heavy load because part of me is somewhere else. Part of me is somewhere else and the part that's somewhere else doesn't want to be here it wants to be somewhere else the part of me that wishes was watching the football game right now or whatever wishes it was over there and that part of me is isn't happy to be here so when we allow ourselves to have diversified values and we don't put all of our heart in one place in God, what ends up happening is that the things that we're doing half-heartedly end up being a burden to us. But the thing isn't burdensome in and of itself. It's my disposition towards it. It would be something enjoyable to do if I wanted to do it, but I only kind of want to do it. So the other part of me that kind of wants to do other things finds this burdensome and finds it to be a load. Before you feel like this giving all your heart to God and all your value to God is, is, is a tall order, you know, notice that like you're at the threshold. You and I are at the threshold of the kingdom of heaven. You and I are being invited. We're being invited to be royalty, to be kings and queens with God in heaven, not just in the afterlife, but in this life as well. What we're being invited to is so great, it requires that kind of commitment. When I was being offered uh, jobs before priesthood, all the jobs I, I was offered came with what was called a non-competition clause. So I was gonna work with sick kids and it was a one-year contract. And for, for five years after that, one, after that one-year contract, I was not allowed to 
you know, to end my contract, at the end of my contract, one year, I end my contract and start up shop within, I can't remember what it was, but it was something, it was something like 30 kilometers of sick kids. It was a non, they, they wanted me to sign a non-competition clause. At first, at first I thought it was, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna work for us for a year, acquire all of these patients, which are ours, and then close up shop, open right next door and steal the patients with you, right? Why? Why would they do that? Because they were trusting me. They were trusting me. And then I later found out that actually a non-competition clause is a very normal part of a contract in many different disciplines, not only in medicine, right? In any discipline where, where the business that you generate is not generated exclusively by you and they want to protect that and they want that business to continue to coming in their direction and not for you to siphon it off somewhere else. The point is this, is that when you're being offered something great, you're gonna, something great will be required of you as well. So if you feel like giving all your heart to God is something great, that's because what God wants to give you is great as well. And what he's done to offer it is even greater. In the Psalms, it also says, your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. Again, in the Psalms, it says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Look at what all God has done for us. It becomes easy to love him when we realize that he loved us first. Finally, in Revelation, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Means that he is the one who is seeking us. He is the one who is pursuing us. He is the one who is chasing after us. He is the one who wants us and wants you, right? So how do you decide? How do you decide where to... To, to put all your eggs. If I'm telling you put all your eggs in one basket, how do you decide if you can do it? We've got to anchor ourselves in truth. In this day and age, right? In this day and age, we, we make our decisions based on a multitude of things that have nothing to do with truth. There are three things, we talked about this before, fact, faith, and feeling. In this day and age, we anchor most of our decisions in how we feel. And tomorrow morning, I might feel completely differently. And then, then my decisions of yesterday don't matter. And sometimes we anchor them in what we believe without asking why we believe what we believe. There are three things, fact, faith, and feeling. Anchor yourselves in fact, in truth, in something that you know is faithful, is true, is reliable. And that's, and that's what the psalm said. You know, before he says... Bef Sorry about that. Before he says, give me an undivided heart, he says that I may rely on your faithfulness. This word faithfulness means firmness, means truth, means sureness, means reliability, means stability, means continuance. Something which is going to continue beyond today. Something which will outlive my good hair day or my bad hair day. Something which will outlive how I feel at this very moment. Something which can last forever. I'm not telling you what the truth is. I'm telling you, find it and anchor yourself in it. Then you'll be able to give your whole heart to it because you'll know that it's true. You'll know that it's that best friend who isn't going to move away, who isn't going to die before you do, who isn't going to, that is going to be there forever. Why? Because it's true. 
It's an immutable truth. When we put ourselves wholeheartedly into something, we lose the fear of missing out. We realize that all I care about is here. And when we get offered other options that are there, 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 and there, we realize, you know what? Those may be good, but I'm really happy with what I have. Because what I have is good for me. You know what a great example of this is? Is what we, what, what, what we used to call parking lot syndrome, right? As a bunch of friends after church, you know, we say, let's go out for lunch. We say, let's go out for lunch. And we stand around the parking lot. Where should we go? And we stand there for about 45 minutes to an hour deciding where we're going to go for lunch, right? And then after a while, you look at your watch and you're like, I got to go. You know, I had something I had to do at three and, you know, it's 2.45. I can't, you know, all of a sudden you don't have time to do what you were going to do anymore because you spent all of your time, you know, thinking about all the different opportunities, right? And a bunch of people are laughing in the audience because you've been there. And the very, very <laughs> multiple other kind of, you know, variations on the theme. Anywhere you would have went would have been great because the great thing about it isn't what's going to be on the menu. It's the great thing that's about it is the people that you're with. You just want to be with them. It doesn't matter where as long as they don't kick you out, right? Then you're good. The fear of missing out makes us do funny things that just don't make any sense, you know? But you lose, I promise you, you lose this fear when you find yourself content with what you actually have. You realize there are other options. I recognize that. But I'm not interested because I have what I have and I'm happy with what I have. The only way I'm going to be happy with what I have is if it, my, my, my happiness, my contentedness is founded in something which is true. If you look at Psalm 86, which was the, the verse we were looking at, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Give me to rely on your truth and your faithfulness so I can have an undivided heart. You'll find when you read the psalm, every the first verse and the second verse, King David's talking about himself. Bow down your ear, O Lord, and hear me, your servant, the son of your maidservant. Hear me, O Lord. The, 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 the subject of the phrase is David. The second verse, same thing. The third verse, he turns to God. The fourth verse, about David. The fifth verse, about David. The sixth verse, he turns to God. If you read it carefully, and you go through it a couple of times, you realize he's doing something. He's not repressing his thoughts or his feelings or his emotions. He's expressing them. But he's using something really beautiful called the continual remembrance of God. As he embraces his need for God to bow down his ear and listen to him, as he embraces his need for God to answer him, his need for God to put his hand in and do something, as he is embracing that, he's also continually remembering God and bringing God back into the picture. That's what God is calling us to do. The answer isn't to force yourself to do something today. The answer is to go home today at some point whenever you get there and close the door of your room and close the door as you physically close the door, close the door on the world out there 
and for a moment, give God all of your attention, all of your value, all of what you esteem and think is precious in life. It doesn't have to be long. Five minutes will be plenty. Ten will be like a flood of undivided attention to God. And tell Him, Lord, I'm coming to you with all that I am. Everything else out there, Lord, is real important to me. But right now, Lord, you take the cake. Right now, Lord, you are everything. You are my all in all. That daily worship of God, those moments of, of undying devotion are what lead us, are what lead us in this way. Imagine if you did that every day. Imagine if you did it twice a day. Better yet, the church gives us a prayer book and suggests that we pray seven times a day. Imagine if you did this in the morning, once at work for a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes at your desk where you just close your eyes and block out the universe and close the metaphorical door and be with God and God alone. Once at lunch, a couple of times in the afternoon and as soon as you get home. What would that do to your heart and mind? That's what God is calling us to. It's simple. It's not complicated. You don't need a PhD in theology. You and I need to turn our gaze towards Him. Now imagine this. Imagine if you're not the only person who did that. Imagine if everybody in your office did that. Imagine if a bell rang and it wasn't some... And it wasn't some... And it wasn't some kind of ritualistic thing that happens in your office. It was something that you did from all your heart. And everybody else did too. And there was two minutes of prayer. Devoted prayer to God. Alone. Imagine if your family did that. Everybody in your family or in your household or, or you and your roommates. Imagine if we did that as a church. If we all had sincere, undying moments of worship for God and God alone, what would that do? It would transform us. It would make this place a different place. It would make your work a different place. Because now it would be impossible to forget God. It would be impossible to cuss that person out in a meeting because in three minutes you're going to be standing before his father. It changes everything. But it changes everything if we do it with all of our hearts. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and pray.